Good morning. Aren't you thankful that regardless, it's because he lives that we can face tomorrow? Amen. I was going to talk about what Don brought up about President Trump. This is weighing very heavy on my heart. And as you know, I've been making a matter of prayer here in the church and at home and talking about the wickedness of people. But God said to the church of Pergamos, I know where the seat of Satan is. And in another place, he said, I laugh at the seat of Satan. And I laugh at those who follow him and carry out his will and his bidding. And it is because he lives and the blood that he shed. And we have confidence in our salvation in him. And we have confidence that he rules the world that he created. Amen? Amen. I hope that this is going to be a blessing and an encouragement to you this morning. A short study that I have uh, prepared. I felt like this is where the Lord was leading. And it's about the word perfect, which might seem a little bit odd, but that's where we're going. It's, it's what, I, <laughs> what I came up with from the Lord, I do believe. So the definition for the word perfect in three languages is almost identical. In the root language of Latin and Hebrew, and Greek, which of course we know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New in Greek. It means pure, blameless, perfect, wholehearted, and complete. The sacrificial lamb of the Passover coming up very soon needed to be without imperfection. There could be no blemish and it must be completely whole. In Deuteronomy 18.10, God instructed the Israelites to walk perfectly before him. There are very few things in this fallen world in which we live that we could or even would consider to be perfect. But there might be a few exceptions, and I'm going to talk about just a few of those. Newborn infants. I think it definitely meets the definition of the word perfection or perfect. It's pretty hard to beat a newborn infant, especially true for grandparents. <laughs> I will always remember after Jan's youngest son, Darren, was born, we were standing in those days you had to look in the glass in the hallway at the babies in the nursery and my dad was standing next to me and he had tears in his eyes and he said, just think, God gave us six grandchildren and there's not an ugly one in the bunch. I said, amen. <laughs> and I know we all feel the same way about our own babies as did God the creator when he created mankind. Psalm 127, three through five says, for children are a heritage from the Lord, and our offspring are our reward. How very true. I would also say, and you may think I'm weird, but this is 
this is where I am at. <laughs> Newborn animals, I think, also meet the definition of perfection. <laughs> Janet's laughing at me, especially farm animals. They're God-given instincts. Think about it. They immediately know they must stand up, or number one, they could be prey. Number two, they would not have the strength to move. And they stand up in order to find that life-giving initial nourishment from mom. The physical design of both the mother and the baby, their size proportions fit together like a puzzle. One front-facing, mama's front-facing, but baby is rear-facing, or it wouldn't work. And the baby's ability immediately after birth to get that life source from mom to let down to its level so that it can drink that source. That's perfection. And it stands to reason that it is because God also loves his animal creations just like he did people. And he claimed ownership of each one. Psalm 5010 tells us that for every beast on the hills is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. He loves them. Another example of perfection is the beauty, the precision, and the functionality of our solar systems in orbit. Only our magnificent creator could have imagined such an intricate plan. Psalm 84:11 says that the Lord likens himself to the sun. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And just as the sun does, God illuminates, he invigorates, he warms, and he sustains life. And in Psalm 121, verse 6, he promised that the sun would not smite us by day, nor the moon by night. The Bible also mentions certain men that followed hard after God as perfect. But as I research this message, I find that they're not necessarily perfect in morality. And we'll see that in Genesis 6, 5 through 9. We read, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. <clears throat> and Noah walked with God. The perfection noted here <clears throat> is not that of morality, but in his generational lineage, his physical lineage since Adam. And in one of the first messianic uh, prophecies in Genesis, in chapter 9, verse 26, it confirms that Christ came from the lineage of Noah's son, Shem. Noah was a man of great honor. 
and faith in God for over 600 years. Yet, in committing the sin of drunkenness, he left himself and his family exposed to disgrace. A man whom Hebrews 11 names as having served the Lord so faithfully for over 600 years fell prey to alcohol and was shamefully exposed for his sin. And he caused his son to sin. And then as a result of his fall, he cursed his own grandson. Then there's the case of Job, even more perplexing than that of Noah, perhaps, still talking about perfect ones in Scripture. In the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? The perplexity in Job's case revolves around the two schools of thought. That one, his friends errantly adopted, that only sinful people could possibly experience the extent of the tragic loss that befell Job, so surely Job sinned. Versus the second school of thought which Job took, his own contention was that he was blameless and therefore God must have made a mistake in doling out these experiences and this terrible injustice to him. And that if he could only plead his own case before God, surely God would see the problem and straighten it all out. And yet we know that when God spoke to Job, he did not even offer any explanation for his actions, but he gave a stern confirmation that Job wasn't even capable of understanding God's ways. In Job 38, two through four, God asked Job, who are you that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you know. And this line of questioning went on through the end of the chapter, of the book, through chapter 41. But the final truth, where the problem really was, is revealed in chapter 42, verses 1 through 6, when Job admitted that truly God's ways are far beyond his understanding and that he was wrong to assume that God had made an error. And in verse 8, God directed Job to offer sacrifices on behalf of his wayward thinking friends who thought that they had it all figured out. And God there vindicated Job and said to the friends, Job will offer sacrifice for you, and he will pray for you, lest I deal with you directly who spoke wrongly of me. For Job I will accept, because he spoke rightly of me. We better take a lesson here very seriously. God doesn't owe us explanation. 
not for pain, not for suffering, and he is not limited to a set of man-made rules or our thinking patterns because we know that sometimes the righteous do suffer and sometimes the wicked do prosper in this life and we know that this may not be resolved until the next life when God judges everyone according to truth. Romans 2, 13 and verse 16 <clears throat> says, For it's not the hearers of the law that shall be justified, but the doers. In that day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And there are others that God names as being perfect throughout the Bible. King David, King Asa was a wonderful king, but I'm going to leave them there. And I want to get to the end to wrap this up shortly. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if there is none righteous, none perfect, none who haven't sinned, then surely we know Jesus did not come to call the whole, to call the complete, or to call the perfect. But he came to call the broken, the unrighteous, and the imperfect. And we know that we cannot attain to this of ourselves. We must have help. And James 1.4 offers one way for us to get this help. And it says, but let patience have her perfect work, that we may be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. Through him and in him, the patience that we gain works in our daily lives as we grow in Christ, becoming his disciples, that patience helps us hide the word in our hearts and it will produce perfection in us, wholeness, completeness in him. Patience in knowing that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28, and I'm almost finished. Don, if you want to start queuing up the song. If I were to take a text this morning, this would be it. Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thy hands, Speaking of the hands that he's working the perfection in me that reflects him. And Psalm 57, 2, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth and completes and perfects all things in me. To sum it all up, God the Father said that there is only one who is perfect in character, one who is perfect in nature, one who is perfect in spirit and in all things. And he works through us 
in us that perfection that makes us reflect him. I want to play a song for you this morning. You may have heard it. This is from, this was written and sung by uh, Dottie Rambo's daughter, Reba Rambo, I believe in the 90s. It's a short song, and I, I wish she had written more verses to it because it is so beautiful. But it expresses what I feel today that we can take from this message, perfection of heart. And that's what the song says, a perfect heart. We serve a magnificent God. Will you stand? For the beauty, the magnificence of this world that he's created, but the work that he does in our hearts individually that connects directly with him and that he's made a way for eternity for those who are in Christ. Father, we thank you today that you did create a perfect world, that you created a perfect people, Lord. Oh, God. And then when sin entered in, you made a way for us to get back to that state of communion with our Father God. We're so thankful. We're so grateful today, Lord. And I pray, oh God, if there's one that doesn't have a perfect heart through salvation in Jesus Christ, that they would reach out to you, Lord, and ask forgiveness. Ask forgiveness, Lord, for the things that blot out that relationship with God. Because your blood and your body, Lord Jesus, was the sacrifice to bring that communion back into right standing. Oh, thank you, Lord, for this. We appreciate, oh God, your love. We appreciate, Lord, that you go with us every day. You walk with us and you keep our hearts, Lord, in your care and in your protection. And we ask that you go with us today, Lord. Keep your hand upon each one that's ill that we named. And God, I ask for a special touch for the Trump family. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would create a way. Create a way where there is no way for your glory to be manifest in this situation. It is out of our hands, it is out of our control, but it is not out of your hands and your control. And we leave it there this morning. We leave it with you, Lord, in your capable hands to do with, to bring about the glory of God in this place and in this country, Lord. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen and amen.